This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. Hello there. Thanks for listening. This is episode 21 of Taking It Easy, Uh, so the big two one. So I hope you've got a yard glass full of tea there, wherever you may be. My guest this episode is comedian, writer, TV and podcast host, Claire Hooper. A regular on our TV screens for about a decade, Claire's introduction to the TV world came quicker than most. And as you'll hear on this podcast, you only really realise that during our chat. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Claire Hooper, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? Good. I'm really well, thanks. That's great. Thanks for having me in your – this is the TV room at your house, yep. I assume? Is that yep. what you call it? Yeah, lounge. We call it the lounge. Lounge room. To disguise what we do here, we- to make ourselves seem more sophisticated <laughs> yeah. than mere TV watchers. Well, I'm guessing you watch TV and play with that, that awesome doll's house. doll house that yeah. is there, yeah? Actually, yeah. There's – I reckon it's more a playroom than it is a TV room. Yeah. And you wouldn't be able to tell that because I went to such lengths to clean it up <laughs> before you came over. Great. Yeah. And we also have a special guest sitting in the room with us, the one and only Dusty Dog. Dusty Biscuits Dusty, is… Dusty Biscuits, her full name. It is because I wanted, I wanted a dog called Biscuits, like mm-hmm. that was what we were calling the imaginary dog. Yeah. Are you worried about the intense noise of the vents, the heating <laughs> vents? Right. It's just such a noise that you're going to hear trams, <laughs> you're going to hear the daycare next door, you're going to hear Dusty whining. He's doing it already because we're using his name. I always wanted a dog called Biscuits and um, then when we got him, I was convinced his real true name was Chevy Chase and that's what I was going to call him when we brought him home from the shelter. What? And then when we brought him, just really liked the name and it yeah. suited him. And then we got him home and he was a bit he was a bit emotionally damaged. Yeah, so we were right. like, Well, let's not let's not indulge our own vanity and call yeah. him a cool name. We'll just keep the name Dusty. Dusty, yeah. And so he had to be Dusty Biscuits. Dusty It's great. Yeah. He um because they, they are, they're just full of dust. That's all his yeah. biscuits are full of. <laughs> and as I look at him, he's having a real good go. He's grooming, him. he's self grooming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the way that we <laughs> Wish we could. He's yeah. got. He's really <laughs> flexible. Uh, now you are a sand groper originally. Yeah. Now living in 
Melbourne. Whereabouts in Western Australia did you grow up? Maida Vale. Right. Where's mm. that? Yeah. Look at the furrowed brow. <laughs> Have you heard of Kalamunda? Okay. It's very close yeah. to there. So Maida Vale mm. is the foothills. Um, mm. we, we're on a flat bit of block and then there's a road and across the road from us it becomes hilly and it goes into this hilly national park called the Zigzag National Park. Okay. Yeah. How far out of the city is that? 25 minutes, oh. which um, when I was growing up, it felt, I mean, we felt really separate from the city. Yeah. yeah. And then you move to Melbourne, you're like, well, I live in Brunswick and it's a 25 minute drive to the city. <laughs> yeah. So I so I understand in, the, in terms of a big city, 25 minutes is nothing. Yeah. So you would have been in growing up in Perth when it was that. Uh, it still sort of feels like a big country town now, but yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's sort of post mining boom. So you would have grown up before that, any of that even hit. Yes. Yeah. When it was. Yeah, I grew up before the gentrification. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and so it's weird to go back. Like I was, I was telling someone during Perth Fringe because you walk around and like the city's alive, and even mm. when Fringe isn't on, there's cool bars. There's storytelling nights yeah. and there's there's like wine bars and there's tapas and there's good Japanese and you're like, you just want to shake all the young people and go, you don't know, <laughs> you don't, this isn't the real Perth. Because yeah. you just, you feel a bit like, why did you turn all this on after I left? Yeah. I could have stayed. Yeah. I, like, I feel like I missed it by one year. Yeah. Like I left and it went, oh, we better get our shit together. Yeah. Anyway. Perth, I really like Perth. Perth's I, great. Yeah, I think it's got a lot going on. Couldn't live right. there. No. Oh, man. You know, Most people say that about their hometown, though. Don't they? Yeah. yeah. When, and once you get away to somewhere else, like I I grew up in a great place, Batemans Bay, but I probably couldn't live there work-wise, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once you move to Melbourne, God, there's no moving back. I don't think it's No. Fantastic. Well, not if you, if you want to work in whatever it is we do. Yeah. I, do you see how I hesitated at comedy? <laughs> I feel like it doesn't, it doesn't really – because comedy is well, – comedy, we do comedy – but it's almost like it's not the comedies that's paying the bills because mm. we could do comedy in Perth. True. But we couldn't live off doing comedy in Perth. No. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I suppose because it, it's not. No, there's good gigs, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, like we were just talking about cruising mm. and doing the gigs on the cruise ships and I think you're just less likely to get flown all the way from Perth to that's do right. that. Yeah. And, yeah, whilst what you're doing on the cruise ship is comedy, what you're getting paid for is being on a cruise ship. Yeah. <laughs> For 23 other hours in the day. Yeah. And you earn every cent. Um. <laughs> it's, not, it's not so bad. Yeah. You did just come off a harder one. <laughs> it was great though. I, um, now, you, you got into the stand-up quite late. Is that right? You, like well, in yeah, your late and 20s? you say that now. Yeah. Yeah, I felt really late. Yeah. So I, I, mean, I started feel, at 25. Like, yeah, right. So, and did you feel like it was late at the now, time? Not at the time. No, now, oh. now I. Cause now I, you realise that it's easier if you start at eighteen when mm. you have that ridiculous confidence. Yeah, I still I, I didn't have confidence that eighteen oh, right. year olds have okay. now at all. <laughs> I didn't yeah. even have that when I was twenty five. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm only just and that is your that charm. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't ever love yourself, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wouldn't. Your brand wouldn't work anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I reckon I was. Man, I don't know. I, I reckon I was 23 when I started doing improv. Yeah. We were calling it improv. So is this like big hoo-ha improv? Yes. Yeah. So the big hoo-ha. Yeah. So Sam Longley, who's the, you know, brother of Luke Longley. Mm-hmm. So he's six foot ten and one of the greatest improvisers. And he yeah. came back from being in America studying. 
Did he spend time where, like, in Chicago? Where? Second City stuff, and yeah. yeah right. So he'd been he'd been doing. God, I mean, I'm so vague about it now, and it's funny because I mean, he would have been really young at the time too. So he came back from America, mm-hmm. and he was like wanting to get something started in Perth, mm-hmm. and I had nothing to do with comedy, but I was was I engaged to give at the time. I was with a guy who had done some, and so he got roped into doing it. And I just remember watching it. That I remember watching it and feeling frustrated at how poorly represented women were, like okay. that it just seemed like a boys' game. And there are a few yeah. women in there, and they were, you know, like good on them, but not shining the way the men did. And not, not given the chance to shine, or don't know, just, just yeah. don't know. Just don't know how it worked. They just, uh, all right. So from the outside, and this is going to sound brutal, but because impro is essentially like a real geek form of comedy. Mm. But some of the men were pulling off looking cool. Right. And the women just looked like full geeks. Yeah. Like geeks an old-fashioned word. And it wasn't even that's, – that's me articulating the thought now. That is not what I – I couldn't have articulated it at the time. But it's mm. that – so so the show that I was watching was called was, – was an elimination-style show. So you'd start with ten performers on stage and the audience would, by round of applause, oh. eliminate someone each round and after ten rounds you'd have your final winner, right? I can see where this is going, yeah. So you – Ladies are getting eliminated. Oh yeah, ladies were constantly because, and so that is is partly about being technically good at impro, mm. but it's also partly about just being someone the audience want to be. Like, who do they love, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is what comedy is. Mm. Comedy is technical skills, but you also have to be the one person in the room that everyone agrees to look at at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's that's something else as well. So mm. you could call it just a popularity contest, and that's. It's kind of sad, but it's kind of true. Like mm. half of comedy is a popularity contest. Convince everyone that they're most into you. Okay, yeah. so anyway, so I would watch this thing and all the women would always get knocked out. I never saw a woman win. And the following year they ran this show again. The following December they ran it again and I begged in. I went, look, you don't have to put me in the show. I just want to come to rehearsals. I want to learn about the art form. Mm. But it was it was like this real sense of like. What, what had you done before that to give you to had you had okay, any so, sort of theatre background? Or absolutely, I had, act, yeah. yeah. So I didn't um, – I started off in occupational therapy. I was really academically really? strong. I reckon there are a lot of comedians out there who are really academically strong and really struggled with the fact that they didn't know how to capitalise right. on their academic strength. And so I reckon there's a lot of comedians out there who are so excited to have found comedy because it feels like something that uses their brain to its full yep. potential hmm. um, and yet it was nothing they could have – been suggested by a great careers <laughs> counsellor. Yeah. yeah, right. So I was I was like, well, I guess I better do something vaguely sciencey because I was really good at science and math. Mm-hmm. Did occupational therapy, didn't work for me. Swapped <laughs> over to theatre and I felt just so stupid and like, who does fucking theatre? And then <laughs> got out and, you know, did just bullshit stuff. Did some like in school show we're going all over the place in school theater shows you know where you go to primary schools and you do a little play about I, bullying yeah. or i would um i did quite a lot of costuming in private girls schools or like sort of extra like specialist teaching mm. in schools for drama like i just whatever i could get but at that stage, did you have no idea what had, the future held? Did I have like any you, ambition mm. in comedy? No, like I'd absolutely adored it. I thought it, I thought it was the best magic cr- trick you could do. Yeah. So I loved watching comedy. Right. And so I probably like like if somebody had said you will be a comedian, mm. I would have been like, oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> but I don't think I had the 
I couldn't see a way that I could do it because how do you write a joke? Mm, like I had okay. no idea how you'd write a joke. Yeah. So I'd, re- yeah. And so when I was at uni, when I was finally doing theatre at uni, I made friends with this girl and she and I did talk about how we should both do stand-up. You know, like one of those things where you have that conversation. Mm. And you know what? I think we both bought a notebook and we were like, let's do stand And then, you know, just neither of us could, we didn't know how to do it. Mm. Anyway, I'm just seeing you like keep on one track. So let's get back. Let's get back. So basically at school, loved comedy, got to uni, whispered conversations about Mm -hmm. how I'd love to do stand-up, but no idea how I could actually do it because it's really hard. Studied theatre, came out, did scrappy little jobs, still no sense of trying stand-up and then watching this impro show, realising that women were really underrepresented and just muscling my way in. I mean, it took me a full year to muscle my mm-hmm. way in, but what was the amazing thing, I'm pretty sure, so in that season of a, of a few weeks of that show, I think I won twice. Okay. And that, But that was enormous because it was like women don't win this yeah. shit. So to actually be the most like mm. the final person standing was amazing for me. That's great. And it's still this is still I'm not up I'm not up to stand up yet. But I met on that show Xavier Michaelides and yep. Jimmy James Eaton mm. who were like just some of the best improvisers in Perth at the time but yeah. also were doing stand up. Yeah, right. And yeah. so they kind of Xavier in particular took me under his wing. Yeah. So what sort of rooms were running then in Perth? Okay, so um, uh, there was what is now the Comedy Lounge mm-hmm. was at the Hyde Park Hotel, which may have been bulldozed, and it was a great night. There was um, Laugh Resort was running Wednesday nights, Comedy Lounge was running Thursday nights. Right. Pretty sure that was it. Yeah, and then Raw would come over. And Raw would come over. Yeah, so I started. Um, I started around... June of 2003 and then entered Raw 2004. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember at the time feeling like that gave me this Im- amazing advantage. I was like, oh, my God, I've been doing it for six whole months. <laughs> yeah. And then you look, you, yeah, now I'm like, oh, shit, people people work on their stuff for three years before they <laughs> enter Raw. I was an idiot. Yeah, but still got got, got through the WA yeah, and got had- sent to, and I did not, I absolutely didn't expect it. So you're about. Six months in when you won the WA final yeah, draw and yeah, then yeah, yeah. came to Melbourne. And I remember there was another guy who was on who I'd seen around and he was a really good comic and I had this funny sense that it was his year for Raw. As they announced my name, I really, yeah, I really felt for him. I'm like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> it must have been really close and that must feel fucked for him because <laughs> it was meant to be his year. Right. What, 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 is he still? No, going? he's not still gigging. No. Quit after that night? No, he did not quit after that <laughs> night. He kept doing it. We gigged around town together. He was really good. He was yeah. really good. But I wasn't going to say no. No, absolutely. There you go. Here's a helicopter. Can you hear the I helicopter? Can hear that. Yeah. It's a very noisy place to live. <laughs> uh, so you won the, the WA Raw final. You come to Melbourne to do the Raw national final. Uh, how long after that did you move to Melbourne? Okay, so first I moved to London um, for complicated reasons Um, and I moved in, I think I moved at the very end of November, which is such a good time to test out London, (laughs) right, as it's like down to four hours sunlight and three degrees in the mornings. (laughs) It was so, yeah, so I had this sad, I walked into a job at HMV, but literally that's how it was in those days. Like I had Mm. a piece of paper in my hand and I walked in and went, do you need anybody? And it was Christmas. So they were like, yep. And then I just, (laughs) so I walked into this ridiculous job and I was gigging at all the shitty open mics at night. 
And then, okay, so here's how it went down. Comedy, you know, Comedy Zone. Yeah. Did you do Comedy Zone? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? So Comedy Zone is this great thing. If you're a fairly promising comedian but still at the start of your career, Melbourne Comedy Festival takes like four. They do about five now mm. and they put on their show during Melbourne Comedy Festival. It's a really good get. It's awesome, yeah. So Toby Sullivan was looking for someone at the time and I was over in London so couldn't do the, couldn't do the Comedy Zone audition. Mm-hmm. So he's like, can you send me a video? So I talked to a girl at work who's got a video camera and I'm like, can you come and video me, please? Like video camera because you couldn't do it on your phone in those yeah. days. In those days. <laughs> and then we, and then we um, I find this open mic using a landline and a timeout magazine. You know, like I call, I call an open mic and I get this. I get this gig and then we get lost going there and we have to stop at McDonald's for McFlurries to get up our strength <laughs> and then we eventually find the gig and there's like five people in the audience and it's on a boat and the guy who's running the gig, is it's his 50th birthday and he's really, really drunk and he and his friends are yelling at us and um, like as in heckling the acts and mm. it was so hard and it was the ter- this terrible, terrible video <laughs> that I sent Toby Sullivan and based oh, on that he was like, it? Just well, I was like, well, I'd have got no choice. I've got to pop this in the mail. So I did. And he obviously went. Dub some laughs over it. Yeah, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I sent it and I can't understand why that got me the gig, but it did. Great. And so when he called and said, do you want to do Comedy Zone? It was like just the excuse I needed to get out of London. <laughs> I was like, London's going so well. But yes, I will come home. And so I, so I moved back. Yeah. I did Comedy Zone, moved back home to Perth, wrote a show, performed it in Perth, brought it to Melbourne Comedy Festival, got some interest from the show. So my first solo show, so it wasn't until 2006. So basically from the point of doing Raw, yeah, from the point of doing Raw, it actually took me two and a half years to get there. No. Is that – the maths works? Yeah. That sounds right, yeah. It it felt quick – it feels quicker when you look back, but Mm. I'm sure it felt like a lifetime at the time. And that first show you did was called O. That's right. Yeah, and it was about um, – I didn't know this about you. I, I obviously do a little bit of research. I've known you through comedy for a little while. Mm. Uh, we've chatted a lot, but I didn't know – the reason you wrote that show was because you found a goiter. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so where so – So all a goiter is is an enlarged thyroid gland, like right. an, a, no, a nodule or multi-nodular goiter. Mm-hmm. So it means the thyroid – that is this little bow tie at the base of your throat mm-hmm. starts – growing for whatever reason and it'll just be something to do with a like hormonal feedback loop so either um so some people with a goiter are producing too much thyroxine or you know like too many of the thyroid hormones Mm. and some people are producing too little and because it's producing too little the thyroid tries to grow bigger in out of compensation anyway it's like and did you um, did you feel it? You just or did you? I was I was doing a kids show. I was mm. playing a little mouse in a really good with Sam Longley. He was play, it doesn't matter. The point is we were, I was I was in this amazing kids show. The- he was not a mouse. <laughs> he was a lion and he was very funny. Um, uh, so I was doing a kids show and I was putting on my makeup and in the mirror I could see this lump and I was mm. like oh well that's come up fast. The doctors explained that I probably just hadn't looked at my neck for mm. ages. They don't come up fast. And then, um, yeah, they just, like, the endocrinologist was like, look, you know, we have to take that out, but there is, it's very close to vocal cords, so there's Mm. a lot of, there is some risk to the vocal cords, and it was a really small risk. It was like 2% chance of damage. It's really, like, not a very high risk, but it made me think, all I've got at the moment, like, all I've been investing in is my ability to speak. I've kind of got nothing else going on. Here's the thing. I found out about it before I started stand-up and mm-hmm. because he said there was risk to the vocal cords, I just ignored it. Like, um, 
And and there was kind of like the basic message was this is your your hormones are fine, you can breathe. Mm-hmm. This is non-cancerous. So just leave it for as long as you can because the surgery is invasive. Okay. And then so the show But if it got really big, wouldn't that be harder and more damage to the vocal cords if it was bigger, Yeah, that's a really good to... that's a really good point, but oh, apparently yeah. not. Okay. Cuz it's not it wasn't it's not like it's uh, it's not like it's invading the cells of the vocal cords. It's just close to the vocal okay. cords. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's a really good point. And certainly, people with thyroid problems often have a develop a bit more of a gravelly voice. Mm. So your voice didn't change. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. No. I'm a bit gravelly, but I think that's just because you learn to shout a lot when you're stand up. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So this show. So I was in. Man, I was in Edinburgh because Tim Minchin was. He was like wooed and they said come over do your first Edinburgh and he was highly suspicious about it he was like they say they're producing me we'll see will you come over as my producer and I was like yeah no problem so he went over three days before he called me and he was like hey you're not needed and I was like great I've already got the ticket book so I came over for a trip to Edinburgh and I was hanging out seeing all these shows and I was like and it was then that I had this idea that um I should just do a show if I get the surgery and my voice is damaged and I can't do what I do. Mm. Let's get a show written that I can perform in perpetuity yeah. because it's all recorded and I don't have to use live voice. Mm. And so it was whilst I was in that Edinburgh environment watching all the different weird offerings, I was like, yeah, that's what you want to do. Okay. Don't just do a regular stand-up show. Write the show that you can lock away in the vault for if you ever lose your voice. But this is your first solo as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it was stupid. Just do still, a real it's show. it's a big uh, – like it's a risk but it's also very cool and – that you thought something so different for your first show. Like I don't think many people are doing – No, you know, For your first I, show, you normally do your best material for that point. <laughs> uh, and you've just taken it apart and written a whole new thing on. So, I mean, maybe that speaks to the fact that I still didn't think of myself as a stand-up or right. exclusively as a stand-up. Or I, I don't know. Like maybe mm. I wasn't thinking in stand because I was still doing scrappy bits of everything all over the place. And, I mean, like I'd gone to Edinburgh to be Tim Minchin's producer, yeah. which is a ridiculous <laughs> thing. But it was amazingly, you know, like so one year later I was in Edinburgh doing that show at Gilded Balloon at midnight, which is, as you can imagine, the most important time to do comedy. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and our, Karen Corrin told me, you know, come back but do something. Yeah, don't do something so silly next time. I can't remember <laughs> how she phrased it but she was just like, why don't you just do a proper show next time? <laughs> I'm going to Gilded Balloon this year. You don't get it. Yeah, it's I'll be there it's still Karen Corrin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm nine thirty though. Shut not, up! Not don't boast. <laughs> nine thirty. What a plum time yeah. slot. What room are you in? Wee room. Oh, yeah. That's the year I was there. That was the room Corinne Grant was in. Okay, cool. Yeah, she's probably at a better time slot than me. No worries. Here it's quite hot. That's all. all of the rooms are hot. Okay. They haven't worked out the um, <laughs> the temperature. They haven't worked out that when you put. Lots of people in, cram them in for an hour and then take them out and put some more people in for an hour that it gets very hot. <laughs> uh, now, that show you did where you didn't speak. Yes. Uh, you were nominated for Best Newcomer at Melbourne. Yeah, that was a real surprise. Festival. I did not think I was on anyone's radar at the time, mm. what with my six people in a night at mm. 6 p.m. in a room, a 120-seater, I'll have you know. Really? Well, it was what was a va- uh, 6 p.m. in a 120-seater. What was the venue? I was at Trades Hall, Old Council okay. Chambers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Had and they I- done the Comedy Zone in there the year before? No. Did? I did Comedy Zone in that I did room. Comedy Zone in Vic's Bar. Ah, oh, okay, yeah. Mm, yeah. In the bar at, attached to Victoria Hotel, mm. yeah. 
Yeah, it was a great surprise. So it was a weird thing because I was honestly, I must have averaged six people a night. It's brutal. It's Mm. just brutal. And I had a big bill and I didn't realise anyone. So obviously comedy festival people were coming and then obviously the people who ended up being my management were coming Mm. and then obviously like the Rove people came because I got offered a Rove spot out of it and it was just so essentially all I was doing, like nobody saw it. I just was auditioning every night for somebody different. I can't in the know, industry. People say like these horror stories of starting out at festivals and doing crowds of six and seven, uh, like I did twos and threes early oh, festivals. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's a bad – I don't look at it as a bad thing. What did it I, feel like at the time though? Um, I didn't really – I just kind of had been told to expect that so I don't think it was a surprise. Yeah, uh, good on you. But So I, I I kind of enjoyed the – Yeah. It's nice – like it kind of prepares really, you for – yeah, like I reckon it teaches you that ability to just keep putting one foot in front of the other yeah. with a smile on your face regardless yeah. of how – and ignoring how bad things really feel. Yeah. Like it teaches you that amazing disconnect that you need when you go into gigs where people mm. just – where you've got to stay on for 20 minutes to get your pay and you've driven half an hour so you've yeah. got to get your pay. Yeah. And it clearly nobody wants to hear from you, but you just do, 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 yeah. just put the smile on, keep going through the motions. Like it teaches you that, which yeah. is so vital. Absolutely, and that, yeah, I, I'm going to Edinburgh for the first time this year. I've been told, you know, is this your first time? Yeah, yeah. So people right. are like, oh, you know, it's tough. It's, and I'm like, I've I've done that in Melbourne, twos and threes, and so I'm. Are you, can you go back though? Yeah, I, I can. Yeah, because I've been fantasizing about it. Which just makes so much sense because I've got a two and a four-year-old and my kid's about to start school next year. Let's just plan Edinburgh. Also, I've got a huge mortgage. What a great idea. Let's go and lose 10 grand. Anyway, so I just keep fantasising about it. It's this weird sentimental attachment to the idea of Edinburgh because I did Mm. oh and imagined coming back and never got back again. Right. Right, and that's 2006. I haven't been back to perform since 2006. Well, you've got plenty of time. Once the kids are older, you can do a family trip over. Shut up and then I will be too old to do anything. (laughs) I'm too old. Um, maybe your voice will be actually gone by yeah, then when you're old. Yeah, maybe I'll pull out the old show. show. Thanks, Dan. Just sit on the stage. But okay, so but one, my point is, Cal took. Cal was like, "Are you sure?" Because what she was, she was saying that she's now gone back a few mm. times, but she's like, "I'm flyering my own show." Yeah. And I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. It sounds awful." So it's like, "Yeah, I did that in 2006." Mm. But I have become so much more comfortable. Is that a good way of? Yeah. Like I don't think I have the humility to fly on my own show anymore. Like mm. I, I don't think I could. I think I'd be throwing up in a bin, <laughs> but like ten minutes in, just from the top of horror of it. <laughs> Flyering was always the absolute worst thing, and I'm like, yeah, that is all Edinburgh is. It's just standing out on the street. Yeah. And- so were you yeah, sure? Because like the, the, pro- the, the you've been on the gala, you've been on TV, <laughs> you earn a living from this now. Can you really go and sort of? Can you go back on your knees? Do you think? Yeah, I, I feel like because it's a place I've never been, and a festival I've never done, you kind of have to start from the ground up. But I, okay, I, so here's the interesting thing about comedy, isn't it? You've got to be completely lacking in humility when you're on stage, and you have mm. to. Ha- but you actually have to be. You've got to. Completely care what people think about you and not care what people think about you at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's yeah. a real – it's a tightrope. But also in Edinburgh, everybody I've spoken to that has gone back, like R- Reese Nicholson and, you know, I've spoken to Nate Valvo and 
Yeah. People that have been and cattle who have been they're over. They're doing all right, aren't they? Yeah, and they've fl- flied for themselves. And I think flying to punters over there is much more accepted and expected from the punters over there than it is in Melbourne. Like in Melbourne, if you try, you know, now it's. I remember when I started, and it was it, it was hard because people would just one in five people would take one off you, the other would just shake their head at you, and oh. like you were <laughs> like you had some sort of. And we are we spend our lives learning social cues, and when people look at you with disgust and shake mm. their head and refuse to take the thing you're offering them over and over and over, yeah. does that really put you emotionally in the mood to go and do some showbiz? Yeah. Does it? <laughs> it run. doesn't. It yeah, doesn't. I remember, yeah, I remember flying in the rain in Melbourne. Oh God! For, and giving out like ten free comps or ten comps, and then. Flying for a good hour before my show. I had two pre-sales and I flyed. I handed out the comps. I thought, oh, I'll get 10. I'll get 10 15 out of that. And I ran. I had like five minutes to get to my room around at the forum. I like bolted up, got in there, and I'm like, what's the numbers up to? And he's like, two. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah, that's, yeah. Ah. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reed. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellyer and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now let's get back to the podcast. Uh, so 2006, you do your first solo show. Okay. And yeah. then not long after this, Good News Week comes along. Okay. So, yeah. So the, um, the order of events is did the solo show, took the solo show to Edinburgh, came back from Edinburgh and got, uh, got the wink from Token, moved mm. to Melbourne officially signed on and within a few months they had me on Ted Robinson's ABC show, The Side Show. Mm-hmm. So it was on ABC TV with Paul McDermott. Yeah. That was a year of that. They expected it to go for longer but there was a sort of change in management or something at ABC, you know, the way things just disappear. Mm. Absolutely. So there was one year and it was the most glorious thing and to me it was like, oh, wow, I did this. Mm. Like as in, as in I guess I hadn't thought – that anything better would ever happen. Mm. Do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like being an actual comedian on an actual comedy show, a variety show on television. Yeah. I was like, this is the thing. And then so it was absolutely bizarre when after that finishing, Channel 10 decide to put on Good News Week again. So that is like, that is the phone call where you're like, am I dreaming? Mm. Which sounds like a melodramatic thing. Like that seems like a silly thing to say, but you imagine I watched it on television yeah. and it had finished. Yeah. So, so to be offered a job on a thing that you loved that's finished mm. is like I couldn't even write. This is a <laughs> fantasy scenario. Yeah. So absolute. Yeah, absolute. And I don't think I was quite ready, but I just you know duck it, paddled. It, you know, like yeah. duck paddle. You know, like oh. the little my little feet were paddling, paddling, and I don't. By the time we wrapped three and a half years later, I was like, "Could we do this again?" I think I get it now, but yeah, whatever. When I was doing uh, some research on you for this, I because I watched Good News Week. Yeah, right. Two thousand and eight, and I I enjoy. I, I was a show I, I watched every week, and 
watching you on there, I wouldn't have thought you had only got into the the game like four or five years previously. Like I thought, like oh my god, think so, about it. So yeah, it so, was two thousand and eight. Yeah, I'd done Raw in two thousand and four. Yeah, oh so, my god. So that just doesn't. You know that that is. Quick. Shit, no yeah. wonder I felt a little out of my depth because yeah. <laughs> I literally was. You're meant yeah. to have a decent – you're meant but, to have but a bit like more. you look comfortable because watching you, and that's what I'm saying, when I did this research, I was like, far out, that is crazy. Like you looked like someone that maybe had, you know, maybe 10, 15 years had gotten oh, to that point. You're you know so what I mean? sweet. But well, but you've got to consider that I was doing shows about bullying in primary schools right. and then running like theatre – like running theatre workshops with year nine students and stuff. So I guess – I was used to dancing as people shot bullets in my feet, I suppose. Right. Like, yes, 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 yeah. Yeah. But yes, technically I'd only been doing stand-up for – oh, my God, I hadn't even been doing it for five years when I did Good News Week. <laughs> I love that all these realisations oh my are having God. happening right now. I didn't great. give myself enough pats on the back. <laughs> and to be honest, I have really pl- – what have I done with that <laughs> – with that head start, nothing <laughs> coasted from what there. What are you talking about? I'm doing nothing. We've got some more things to chat about. First of all, you've got a sweet house, playhouse in your TV or lounge room. Yeah. So yeah, 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 that's right. A Bruce Willis that question as well. So let's just not. That that was display stock only. <laughs> so I got a good price on that doll's right. house. So you think I'm rich when you look at that doll's house? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just a good bargainer. <laughs> So, what was the the TV experience like? Like the obviously you'd come into it, you know, you hadn't been in the comedy world long, but and you'd done that show with Paul McDermott, mm-hmm. and then you went into Good News Week. Was it? Uh, is it just learning I, on your feet? And yeah, I remember. Well, cut, yeah. was it like I, I'm always interested. Paul is it like- and Paul and Ted were so gorgeous and nurturing and friendly and lovely, but also, you know, like they like Ted still had a, you know, once I said to him. God, what did I – did I write it in a card or did I say – I'd say it to him. I did write him a card. I remember him taking me, like in a quiet voice, telling me not to say thank you. And so that's all I can remember of the conversation now. But this is Sideshow. So this mm. is the first TV job and I show – and I was – I expressed extreme gratitude and he said don't do – don't say thank you. Yeah. And what I took from that – well, like he was basically saying, you need to start acting like you belong here. Right, yeah, yeah. But that was a lesson that took me a really long time well, that, to learn. I, I feel like I only got that when I first walked onto Bake Off set. Okay, yeah. I spent the whole time on Good News Week. Yeah. I, so, yeah? Yeah, I see what you mean. Like it does take – with comedy because in Australia, I don't know, it's kind of new, you know, it's sort of – it's been around, you know, but it's sort of boomed from the 80s to now. Yeah. So it's kind of still new – and I know when I started, I, I had full-time work up for the first four or five years. And then about six years in, I just, for the last sort of three years, I've just done it. But it, it is hard to tell yourself, like when you're sitting at home, maybe writing or something, you're like, this is it now. Like this, I'm doing this. I'm a comedian. It's hard to. Yeah. To, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's because it's such a hobby thing yeah, to start I with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, um, some people talk about the imposter syndrome and it wasn't. That, do you know what? It was. On mm. Good News Week, it was imposter syndrome. Did I you, could think of other people who should have been there more than me. Did you feel any animosity from anyone in particular? Absolutely or? not. Right. No, no, no. No, not at all. Um, and in fact, I think I was doing that stand-up comedy, that stand-up comedian's trick of uh, of suppressing any thoughts of people that right. did, you know, like there's no point dwelling on who might not like that you're there. Mm. 
Um, and I think back and I'm especially now that we've just had this conversation, <laughs> yeah, there would have people people would have been like, <laughs> how the fuck did she get that? <laughs> you know, like of course people. So, but I couldn't. I I did not have mental space mm. to think about that. I was having enough trouble sitting in the actual chair in front of the actual cameras. Mm. And coping with the fact that Paul and Mikey had done this for a million years and knew exactly what they were doing and yeah. I was keeping up and I really did struggle to get a word in in the first se- sections of the show. You know, like I really – they were very generous but I still didn't know how to speak up and get my first lines away. Right. And Ted kept explaining, if you get a joke in the first few minutes, the whole show is stronger. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I would just – it was my tendency but I would just wait, let everyone else talk before I started contributing in the second half of the show, yeah. like terrible stuff. Yeah. Also, warm up the audience. Paul would come out and warm up the audience and then Mikey would tell a funny story every week and then they'd sort of look to me and I'd be like, well, it hadn't even occurred to me to think of something <laughs> to talk about. I've been sitting in the makeup chair and I've been wondering about my, like, my jokes yeah. for the rest of the show and I'm like, oh, fuck, every week I forgot that it would be good to like win the audience mm. before the cameras started rolling as well. Like, and, he, and I walked under that set and the first day – and I was so I was in such a bubble of like trying to work out what was going on that I didn't do if I could go back and hold my like take myself by the shoulders I'd be like listen to everyone's name and remember them yeah because there wasn't even a sense that there would be next week it wasn't that I expected to be fired I just could, I couldn't even think to next week and the fact that this might be an ongoing thing mm. at the end of three and a half years I remember there was sort of one or two people on the crew who'd been there the whole time and I just was I knew their name but I wasn't confident enough to use it because mm. in the first week I'd been introed and I was yeah I had like my pupils were like pinpricks in the first week so yeah. I couldn't hear names but it's mm. like I wish I'd listened to Ted when he said don't say thank you again I just interpret as just act After like you that, belong you go, here thank you for the yes <laughs> thanks for the advice um thank you, thank you. I'm a real I'm a real thanker and sorry I, I can't help yeah. myself and I'm trying to get better at that but, yeah, I'm sure when yeah, like just, guys like Paul and Mikey started in the similar roles that they were the same. I just feel maybe. like it takes you years to – Yeah, years. It's need, ridiculous. Yeah. It just feels like such a wasted – Experience. I, yeah. could have had, I could have been experiencing so much more joy. Mm. Um, I, sideshow, I just remember sitting behind the set about to go on one day just going, why does this feel so awful? Right. You know, like that, like mm. this is the thing I wanted. Why does it feel so awful? Because mm. it just wasn't in my bones yet. And so I, all I could feel was you, my body was just ready for something to go wrong rather yeah. than that thing when you're fully in your skin going, I'm doing the thing I always wanted to do. Like yeah. Anyway. You were totally deep-ended. It was, it was you were jumping yeah. right into yeah, that. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. And I didn't really, would it have been better if I'd had a few more years? Maybe not. Maybe it's good that I was. Oh, I think deep-ending is the way to go. Yeah, it's the way to go. Yeah. But, yeah, the difference of when I walked on to the set on Bake Off, hmm. oh, like I'm jumping forwards now. No, that's fine. That was the next question. So you, oh, really? Did you look at my notes? No, before? not at no. all. We've nailed But that. I just, like the feeling of walking onto Bake Off set, I had a – because I screen tested from that. Like I wasn't just getting it because I was a friend of the producer mm. or anything. So this is about three three years after Good News Week. So Good finished. News Week wraps up while I'm doing Breakfast Radio in Sydney. I finally extricate myself from Breakfast Radio, which was a mistake, but also sometimes you've got to go through a bad thing to know what mm-hmm. you don't want to do. <laughs> what, was, what station were you on? I was on um, Mix, yeah. um, which is now something. <laughs> it's whatever Kyle and Jackie O are on now. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Hit. I don't. I'm not quite sure. I don't. That. I don't retain information about radio anymore because mm. it's a because because <laughs> yeah. it's a bit of a trigger yeah. for me. Like I had a very bad time. Right. So a lot of people do. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you can't – it's a bit like having babies, breakfast radio. (laughs) Like as in people can explain to you what it will feel like and why it is hard, but until it happens to you, you don't – you cannot comprehend. But unlike babies, there's nothing – you don't get anything good out of it. Was it something? Oh, you do. You get money. You get money. So you're like, (laughs) you're like, well, but it's a lot of money. So surely I can just let these things wash off my back, and surely I can find a way to manage this thing. And you can't. Is is it like behind the scenes? Is it totally different to the TV vibe? Yes. Yeah, right. I I just assume like that that entertainment side of things. You would think so. Why are they so different? And um, I feel fuck. I can't. Let's not get into it because it's too boring, but they are different. I found them extremely different. I think sometimes people have experiences in TV that are a bit like my radio experience, Mm -hmm. but all of my TV experiences have been just joy, Mm -hmm. just like good people working together with a common goal. Yeah. With small exceptions, but really basically like a lovely – maybe I've been really lucky in TV, Mm. but they are different worlds to me. They couldn't have been more different. And I'm not suited to – I'm so, just not suited to radio. Yeah. I'm not going to blame the world, but I also – I'm not the only person who's had <laughs> – who's come away with huge mental and physical health problems. Yeah. Well, we know a few, don't we? It's um, We really do. Yeah. Definitely more than any TV. Yeah. Nobody comes away like yeah. – but also TV contracts are shorter. They're not like mm. – they're not every single morning for a year. Yeah. They tend to be like – you know, six weeks of hard work or something or, you it's, know, like, you you know, so maybe yeah. that's part of it that you can. You s- yeah, you say that whole common goal thing, everybody working together. I think radio is a bit more individual. It's Yeah, it, it feels like everybody's fighting for their idea yeah. a little bit more rather than getting excited about the same. Yeah. I mean, you know, like just when a set, just when one break goes really well, then someone's angry because it went over, mm. and then another break goes really well, and someone's angry because you only did two mentions of this rather than three, and you know, like so, there's just constantly getting, you just get a lot of negative feedback yeah. and a, and a lot of attempts to tinker with your actual personal voice, which is all you've got as a comedian. Mm. That's right, and it should, and it sounds like very boohoo when some people have jobs working in mines. Mm. But I say that I actually know that it can be really fun working in mines too. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm saying some people actually work hard and then you're like, my personal voice was compromised, but it's actually on a really deep like it really mm. messes with your head. Yeah. Anyway. So you got out of that. You got out got of, out of that, came home, had a baby, mm-hmm. one year into yeah, so she was one year old and I got a screen test for bake off. Um, so anyway, I don't know that there was I don't feel like there was um I didn't make some sort of mental decision to go into it differently. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't go, I didn't go, tell yourself you deserve it. Like I didn't actually talk, I didn't give myself a talking to. Mm. But I was just in a different place because I'd escaped radio. Yeah. And I knew what I wanted, I knew what I was good at and what I wanted to do. I'd had a kid and I'd had a year of just being so bored by my own company mm. and feeling like really, um, yeah. Like getting the cabin fever of Did, being at home with an infant. Yeah, yeah. And so I got that job and I was like, I screen tested with a lot of other people and they decided on me mm. and I walked in with so much confidence. Like, watch what I can do. Yeah. It was so different. Did you have baking experience? No, God, no, you don't no. need that. No, I was really candid. I was like, I don't know how to do anything. Okay. Like Wade doesn't let me in the, co- the kitchen. I'm not, <laughs> I come to the door and he's like, ah, there's hot stuff in here, get out. So I don't <laughs> put down that knife. I don't um, – no, I don't know anything about cooking but that meant that when I went in and I was like asking the 
bakers what they're doing, mm. I would ask, I would be the viewer's eyes. I'd be like, yeah. what is, what's this do? <laughs> Why are you melting the butter first, right? Yeah. That's so, right. yeah. No, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying I had 100% confidence. I was still mm. really nervous and I was working out what to do, but there was this, I was noticing how production works, what the hierarchy was, mm. what my role was, what the timing was. Like I was on top, I felt, I didn't feel like I was drowning Mm. I felt like I know what my role is, I know what that person's doing, I know why that's happening. Like it was this lovely, I was just so much more comfortable. But yeah, and it's also 11 years since you Right, started. I was an old hand. I feel hand. like that, ten year, that decade and those experiences. Yeah, that's when on, you're meant to start doing TV. Yeah, all those TV, like Good News Week and you know, yeah, all those experiences yeah. of feeling, you got those out of your system. So what was it, 2015? Yeah, right, so 2015, so it was about, yeah, I started Bake Off about a decade after starting stand-up. Mm. So, yeah, that is, yeah, no wonder I was I was comfortable in my own skin. I knew the jokes. In fact, on Bake Off, I'm, I am, I, I've always, I just didn't want to be a diva. I didn't want to ask for anything. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, no, I don't need a dressing room. Like I was, I was so, yeah. oh, God, no, no, not on my, <laughs> oh, no, I don't need the cab charge. It's fine. I'll just get the bus, right? Like I was always that. And on Bake Off, I'm more like, like in the Bake Off finale that we just shot, they'd written me a script to, as part of the winners announce and I just like into my little earbud like a total pro I'm like no the grammar's wrong in that I'm going to rewrite it and then I just go quiet for t- and then I say a completely different thing and they just and the producers are fine yeah. what I've learned is it's actually they quite like like might be a stretch but they're comfortable with you pushing back yeah and I never would have done that before mm. Yeah. I get the script and I go oh I hate this script no oh, I better do the script that I hate blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> and now I'm like Oh no, that's terrible, yeah. David. Um, I don't like it at all. I'm going to rewrite it, and you, they let me yeah. because I'm because they're like, well, seems like she knows. Do you feel like that's something you also get just from getting older? Like you just yes, yeah, and also just, having a baby. Yeah, you're like no kids. bullshit anymore. Yes, yeah, we yeah. do not have time to be nice. We're yeah. getting things done. done. Yeah. I have a dog and two kids, and I will talk to you like <laughs> I talk to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I. I I can totally say that. A lot of I just feel like a lot of comics have a turning point where they just say, "Fuck this! This is how we're doing it." Oh my god! I remember it happening to Tom Gleason. Right. I remember having it to Edo. I, I had Edo. Oh my god! Yeah. On this podcast, and I just remember watching her at shows, and she was always funny. But then there was just this thing that clicked, and she just was like, "Yeah, I'm there doing is this. an actual don't give a fuck that yeah. has to happen." Yeah. I've got that professionally on a TV set a bit more now, mm. but I don't have it on stage yet. Right. I've, I've had, you know, like a, mm, 10 years in, I had it a bit, yeah, Dan, but not enough. I know that hasn't happened for me on stage right. yet. And I say yet, like it might, it may never happen, Is but at least it's happened professionally. It's, it's, it's happened like, professionally on a, on a TV set at um, least. That's good, yeah. Yeah, which might mean that I'm meant to be a TV presenter, not a stand-up. You don't know. I, you still got to keep. You got to do a bit of everything. Absolutely. But maybe that's what I'm meant to do. So on that, um, I've watched a little bit of Bake Off. Yeah, t- yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. You and Laura watch yeah. it a little bit, right? Well, she watches it much more than I okay, do. Right. But I'll um, sometimes just be in the room yeah. when it's on, um, and I'll see you. I'll be oh, there's hoops. Uh, watch this for a bit. <laughs> and Mel, of course. Yeah, Mel's so good on it. Yeah, it's 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 really entertaining. But I. I'm curious, like behind the scenes, do you, do you know when the, a series starts? Like, can you look at all the competitors? <gasps> Great question. No, yeah. 
Can you believe it? No, can't pick it. You can't there pick is it. a point at halfway through where you start to get a, a stronger. I reckon you because I'm, I'm you, like things you, like MasterChef. You can tell pretty oh God, early who's going to be. The, but you also wonder how much of that is in the edit where they've true. actually filmed so much of it that they mm. know whose stories to string out and whose stories yeah. to like underscore with more inspiring music because they know who they're sending through. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we are not in the we're not in the edit room. We're in the actual like we, that first day I'm meeting them for the first mm. time. No idea who's gonna um, who's gonna be good. You do get so within the first episode, you get a sense of maybe a third of them who you're like, there's no way they'll win. Yeah, and you get a sense of a third of them who you'd be like, I'd be surprised if they don't make it a long way. But that's about as good as you get. And this year, the season that you haven't seen yet, um, it was really exciting to Mel and I because we. At halfway through, at halfway through, we picked the final three. Okay. And but we've never been able to do it. So either we're getting better, or the final three were more clear standouts, yeah, yeah. or it was just a fluke and we got lucky. Yeah. How long do you shoot for? How long is it all just shot? It's called ten month weeks, month? but there's enough compression of the shoot that we can get it wrapped in six weeks. Yeah. And where where is that lovely building that they? Oh, it's with? amazing, isn't it? It's um, it's built. It's like put away. Oh, really? Yeah, in between. So they built it on site and then they put it away in a storage facility. Um, (laughs) So it's a place called Dame Edith Walker Hospital. Yeah. It is – it's a – oh, it's hard to – there's actually not many things to compare it to in other states. It is like – in Sydney people might know Callan Park, which is also another former hospital grounds, heritage listed. Mm -hmm. And so it's just randomly in the middle of – residential area where the houses would be very expensive and you're like, how on earth is this not turned into apartments? <laughs> but it's just, yeah, rolling like an acreage with rose gardens and right. heritage houses on it surrounded by water. That's where we shoot. Yeah. And it's, oh, I wonder why I enjoy it because it's like, boo-hoo, we do 14-hour days, but you watch the sun come up over the rose garden and <laughs> there's the smell of fresh bread baking yeah. and it really it could be worse. <laughs> Do you get to take baked goods home? Um, the official rule is that the things are kind of kept for pickups until the next day, as in maybe a shop got shot, missed of one yeah. of their food items. Have you really, ever taken a bite just, out of something that needed to be shot again? Right. But, no, we get really good at getting <laughs> snacks. Yeah. But also this season I didn't eat many of Right. Oh, no, what am I talking Yeah, I ate heaps. <laughs> I ate heaps. And especially when it's a technical bake. So it's like one of Matt or Maggie's really fancy recipes. Yeah. And everyone's made the exact same thing. And at the point where they announce who's are the exact best and they're number one, yeah. you can just see everyone in the room, like, work out who's going to get to that plate first when, <laughs> when filming wraps. Uh, what's the best thing you've eaten on that show? Is there something that just stands out that you bit it and chewed it and just thought that is the ant's pants? Like a custard because tart or something. You can imagine four seasons now, so many. Can you imagine how hundreds and hundreds of things I've mm. tried? So it's actually quite hard to pick one thing oh, out. Yeah. But the one thing I remember still is, and it might have been season two, one of Maggie's technicals was fig rosemary walnut bread, I think, like oh, a baguette. Okay. And I remember reading it and just going, boo, boring, <laughs> next, right? And then when they were all baking, I was like, hang on a minute. And then when we ate them, I was like, can I eat it forever? Because there's so, like a good bread. Yeah. But I'm also like, a stop putting sweet stuff in your savoury. Yeah. So like fig, Maggie beer, <laughs> stopping a Maggie beer cliche. It was amazing, Dan. Yeah. So I still think about that bread and wish I could eat it again. Okay. Yeah. I, I would find it hard to believe Anything I would eat on that show would be better than a custard tart from the Charlton Bakery in Country Victoria. You're trying to get sponsored? I wish. If they're listening, 
I would gladly take some Where free custard tarts. Where is that place? Charlton. I... It's like on the road, on the, the way to sort of Mildura okay. out on the – Okay, yeah. great to know. Yeah. I don't go in that direction much, but yeah. I've, locked that, the, I've locked that down Getting towards the Mallee region of okay. Victoria. Yeah. All right, so you've just shot third – so we just shot the, the fourth. fourth season. Yeah, of, can you of, believe it? Yeah, really look forward to checking that out. Um, another little venture you've got going at the moment is a podcast. Yes, and it's called the Pineapple Project. Yes, which I'm quite fascinated by. I, I confess I haven't listened to it yet, but after researching last night, I think I'm going to listen to it because I'm at that stage of my life where I need to get oh, my money. Oh, we could have. I wish we had more time. Money. We've, yeah, we, we've never run out of time. <laughs> we are. Yeah, money, it's – okay, so it's been huge for me. So it's a podcast about you know controlling, what? giving I mean, people tips on how to control their money better. Yep. From your – like from a just a – similar to how you so, were on the Bake Off, you were just a, you know, a punter's I'm view. Just, this is yeah, a similar like thing. Yeah, like idiot's a, view. You're not an expert on money but you – Not at all. Yeah. And want. there was a there was a bit of a fear. It's like, oh, I don't want to be somebody that people call when there's a finance story in the mm. news to comment. I do not want this to be on my dance card. <laughs> so – um, I feel bad because the way the podcast has sort of presented itself, it mm. looks like it's my podcast. It absolutely isn't. Like I'm the face on the tile because I am the guinea pig of it, yeah. but it's actually masterminded by Monique Bolley okay. and um, uh, Rachel Fountain and Emily Stewart from the ABC with Monique put this amazing thing together yeah. and then they found a host. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm terrible at money. And they went, please come, please <laughs> come. And I am. I'm the person that they needed. I mean, just – I guess like the, be- the the most concise way of explaining, I had four credit cards with 18 grand credit card debt okay. on it. Yeah. And one of the episodes was credit card debt and there's a lot to discuss about that. There's average credit card debt in Australia is four grand, which doesn't sound like much, but if people are hovering at an average of four grand, that means they're paying interest on four grand every year where if they mm. could just get rid of that, rack off the credit card and mm. live on zero, then they're not just – handing over the interest payments mm. anymore and yet they're really like their baseline is zero instead of their baseline being four grand. Yeah. Everyone knows that. So one of the things Pineapple Project dealt with was it's all stuff that people know like we should probably know how much is in our super and care about it. Mm. Nobody knows, no. nobody cares. It's very it's not a very sexy message superannuation. But that's um, the thing people don't yeah it's it's your money like you earned it. Yeah. Roll them together and Yeah, don't I've lost yeah. so many so many dollars in fees from having like so many little so, jobs yeah. and it just dissolving cuz I just don't I just never have my shit together. Mm. And so every app is Every ep is about something that people are just, they're not getting their shit together. One of the, I mean, one of the things is women are not asking for raises as much as men and they're living on less money. And I mean, your house, if you get an extra 50 bucks in your pocket a week, 50 bucks is not that much. You get an extra 50 in your pocket a week. Your household budget can be, yeah, you you know, like. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're living on the line, like in $50. Well, and a lot of people are. And so Wade and I were at a point, like our mortgage on this house is huge and mm. we just had two kids. So we'd, so the credit cards had, had just gotten bigger and bigger because mm. we're just trying to get through the fact that when a, like when I, when I'm the primary earner, but I'm having kids, it really, we really ground to a halt. And mm. so th- all the things that I ignored about our bad finances had gotten knotted and gnarled and in yeah. terrible shape. So I was in I was in the perfect place. And Pineapple mm. Project saved us. Mm. We went like six months and all the credit card debt is gone. Great. And the household budget is on track. And every like we're in such a good place mm. now. And it you just you have this low grade anxiety knowing that you are ignoring a lot of financial problems. Mm. 
And then when you just turn around, face them, clear them, and then you turn back towards the, you know, like you, you face forwards again and you no longer have anxiety about what's behind you. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. I'm using it. It's I've, a really yeah. clumsy metaphor. I read but the Barefoot Investor. That's really, it's really ago. similar stuff. Yeah, it's, it's like, just hey, sim- just sort it out. It's basic, like when you read it, you, I know. Just, you f- listen. You almost feel patronised. Yeah, like, why wasn't I? But it's, it's like, so well, you're not doing it, so fucking do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a um, from a gambling issue years ago. I had a twelve thousand dollar credit card oh, that I just God. rung up. Um, God. And I've like I, I, thanks to the last few good years of comedy, I've been able to get rid of it. But it was. Um, I wish I knew all this back then. Yeah, money issues are – so many of them are just from us being – yeah, like you say, you just want them not to think about it. You just sort of push them to the side. Yeah, it's a really strange – it's one area of our lives that we really let ourselves – we we give ourselves permission to ignore and it's – and also it's so gauche to think and talk about money, and especially when you're in our career. Like mm. we're not meant to care about it. We're artists. Mm. But if we get that, if we get it sorted, then we can actually go on making our art with so much more, yeah. like with more of a light touch because we're not desperately worried about yeah. where we're going to live next year, mm. which is, I mean, honestly, that's where we were at. We were at, we're going to have to sell the house, mm. obviously, because we fucked it and yeah. <laughs> now we've unfucked it. That's great. Maybe that those Ladies just – it was just something. It was very – It was supposed to happen. It was like serendipitous. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. To get you and ideas. then what's weird is they want to do season two and my gut said, no, I was just sick of being a <laughs> – Yeah, and I took weeks to tell them no. I was like, just give me another day to think about it. And I, I've worked out now that it's – I was just feeling a bit burnt out and overexposed. <laughs> We'd kind of do two. They just gave me a few more months. I didn't yeah. have to go straight from Bake Off into Pineapple Project 2. So we are. So there will be more pineapple Great. projects. But, so um, check that out, everyone. Um, and if you've got any questions for Herbs, just hit her up on social media. Oh, no, I don't do social. <laughs> Shut up. You know that. You know that. Don't even bother trying to. I don't even do Instagram anymore. I'm working on it. I'm working on my uh, my issues, Dan. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for taking it easy with me today. Um, thanks for coming all the way to my house. Oh, no worries. What's, if people do want to contact you or, or see you live, What's the best way to go? About Absolutely that? not. Oh, if you <laughs> so check there, out the there season is an official, four of the Bake Off. There's an official, up, yeah, nice. an yeah. official page on Facebook, and my management run it. So my apologies mm. that it's not very personal content, but it's certainly a way to keep up with gigs. Yeah. So Claire Hooper, com- yeah. comedy is it? Is that what it is? Comedian or something on Facebook? Mm. Yep. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. Great. I I, I need to pineapple in. project. My attitude to social media. <laughs> yeah, that's your next podcast. Because I, I've got, I've let that get a bit twisted and gnarled. What about Instagram and Twitter? Nope. Okay. Um, uh, and, and no, no, no. Instagram's my friend, but I did, um, I did stop doing it by accident a few months ago. And mm. once you've stopped, you can't start again when you have issues like I do. <laughs> so I'm working on it. I will be back on Instagram. That will be my first return to social media. So keep an eye on Instagram because I will be back. <laughs> yeah. I promise. I'm sorting myself out. Oh. Dan, I'm such a mess. First image needs to be this dollhouse so people know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Uh, excellent. And, and for gigs and whatnot, if people wanted to book it's just through Token, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You find your page and that's right. you go. I'm very good. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's it. Thanks again. And Thanks we'll so much. S- no worries. Hey, thanks for listening. 
As mentioned there, you can follow Claire on Instagram, which is the Claire Hooper, and Facebook. Uh, she has a Facebook page there, comedy page, which is Claire Hooper. Also, Claire is C L A I R E. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. Uh, as I say, I'm on iTunes. Say that every episode. So send your friends there if they have iTunes. Get them to subscribe. Leave a nice comment. Maybe a rating would be appreciated. Uh, if they don't have iTunes, uh, send them to my website, which is danielconnell.com.au. got a podcast section there where you can just listen to the previous 20 episodes. Uh, while you're there, you may as well check out my gigs page. I've got a lot of gigs coming up all over the shop. Come and watch some live stand-up comedy. Uh, also, if you're online, you may as well jump on Facebook when you're checking out Claire's page and give my page a like, which is Daniel Connell Comedy. Uh, that's about it. Also on Twitter and Instagram, you may as well check those out as well while you're there, both Daniel Connell Comedy. Uh, And that is all. Thanks very much for listening and take it easy.